Hey guys, Luke Mahalik here. Welcome to the DFD or Dairy Farming Discussions podcast. Here, we want to discuss all things dairy farming. This podcast is about getting information out that is going to help your dairy operations succeed. Our goal is to bring you timely information on beneficial topics. We plan to bring in some of the top names from the industry to share on the topics they have studied and more importantly, are passionate about sharing with you, the listeners. I hope everyone enjoys this week's episode and thanks for listening. Hey guys, Luke Maholik here. Welcome back to the Dairy Farming Discussions podcast. Uh, really excited today. It is a nice warm uh, May day out there. We had a light rain this morning and uh, that brings us right into the topic we want to talk about today. Uh, we are talking about first cut haylage in general, I guess, but we're just around the corner from uh, first cut here or some of you guys might have already started. Um, I know there was guys going late last week already. So uh, this one we wanted to do quick and get out there for you guys just with some discussion around haylage, some tips and tricks uh, that we've seen working with some of the producers we deal with. So with that, I want to introduce my guest today. His name is Keith Schweitzer. I'll get him to do a little bit of an intro about who he is, but I've known him for quite a few years throughout uh, my days at Shergain and within the Shergain dealership network. And uh, he's a great guy to have on just talking about forages and uh, specifically today, again, we're talking about haylage. So uh, Keith, do you want to just tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, give us a bit of an introduction to who you are and your background there? Yeah, no problem, Luke. Uh, started uh, working in the feed industry in 2006. I started with Suregain in 2013, so I've been in the dealer network there uh, for just over seven years, uh, working primarily with the Hensel Co-op. I know I work with a couple other dealers on the, kind of the outskirts of things, but uh, my main focus is kind of Lambton, Middlesex, uh, here in Perth County. So, yeah, well, so I guess what I was saying there in the intro is today we want to talk a little bit about haylage. Um, we're on May 25th here right now, 2020. So it's a nice Monday morning. Like I said, this morning here, I got up and there was a nice gentle rain there and we're expecting nice warm temperatures this week. So I think it's going to be a, a good week to get at it. If the rain and thunder showers hold off here that they're calling for, I think there'll be a lot of guys thinking about first cut, at least up my way just for, I guess, for a bit of a reference, I live in Fergus, so just north of Guelph here. And you did a video actually just recently that I saw that was a great informative video. Uh, you were walking a field there. What what do you kind of look for when you go to a producer, whether it's a, a current customer, maybe a, a customer that's interested in doing business with you in the future? Well, there's a lot of different things, I guess, you can look at when you're uh, looking at a help, like a hay field, alfalfa or, or alfalfa blend uh, with grass. I look for bugs, I look for, you know, is there two marks on the leaves? I look, I look at just general soil conditions, stand conditions, uh, maturity of grass, maturity of alfalfa. I like to do three to four kind of walks a year okay. prior to first cut. Um, so just when it breaks dormancy, make sure like, what's the winter kill situation like, you know, things like yeah. that. Like, like one of the things you see, sometimes you get those real wet winters and uh, you get a lot of heaving or a lot of winter kill in there. So sometimes you have to, you know, go make a wreck recommendation to a producer you know maybe we should start thinking about throwing some grass or something in that stand if you're not going to uh if you're going to keep it around the other thing too is uh just talking about uh, fertilizer with them as well uh making sure that they get the right amount of uh, uh nitrogen and sulfur and potassium and stuff on it so i like to look at the feed samples so you can usually pick yeah. up if there is a little bit of a, a mineral deficiency there just on some of the minerals that we see coming across the feed sample so you know, just talking to producers about that stuff to uh, to make sure that they're feeding that crop. Um, and the other thing too is I like uh, getting a little nitrogen on early in the 
here just to help the grass and it helps kind of bring the soil to life. Uh, last year, I think half the battle that we had with the hay crop uh, to start with was that uh, the soil was so cold and it just didn't get like it's a it's a bioactive thing kind of like a rumen too like there's a lot of bacteria and things right. like that that make make the soil soil work and help these plants grow and it, it just uh yeah i just find it didn't get kick-started into gear last year that kind of set us back for the for the whole year but then this year you know we had a really nice april and it yeah. late march and may like it wasn't overly warm but it was it was warm enough so this the hay actually it looked really good uh, yeah. And then in the last few weeks since I did that video, I mean, it's completely exploded. Like it had, yeah. it had all the potential in the world to go. It had the fertilizer and it had the moisture and stuff. And, you know, yeah. once the stands came through the winter really, really good because it wasn't overly wet. You know, this alfalfa, I just got a text from a producer this morning, one of my customers, and said the best first cut he's had in three years. So, No, I think it is exactly that. We're getting some nice warm weather, getting some moisture here as well. So it's kind of the perfect combination in my mind for a great first cut. So let's have a little bit of a discussion here as well. As a nutritionist, you know, there's the age old discussion, I guess, of, of really anything in life, really of quantity versus quality. So what do, you, what do you typically do when you're talking to producers, when you're having that discussion? You know, like last year was a tough year. Guys might be tempted this year to try and go for a little bit more quantity than they are quality. Uh, what are some advantages, disadvantages, maybe in your mind when you're, you're talking about that? I, uh, I'm on the school of thought to always cut for quality. I think we can make quantity up later in the year, you know, with corn silage or something like that, if you do need the right. inventory. But I, I always want to see, you know, high protein, high energy, low fiber, lower fiber on it, I guess. Like the ideal haylage, I kind of look at that 20, 30, 40 rule. So 20% protein, 30% ADF, uh, 40% right. NDF. Yeah, uh, and even a little bit lower than that to uh, yeah. I think with first cut you could adjust your chop length accordingly. Like if it does get away on you a little bit, you might want to shorten your chop length up. If it is really good lush stuff, you know you might be able to get away with a little bit longer uh, cut length on that. And then the quantity thing, I think I think we really have to look at the economics of it, like protein and, and carbohydrate to buy from yeah. people like us. You know, it gets really expensive. It's probably the number one on farm. Uh, cost for a dairy producer and the easiest way to to lower your feed bill is put up higher quality forage so Absolutely. if you've got the opportunity to run over a couple extra or do a couple extra acres to hay you know to get inventory or maybe you know you do your hay and then you adjust your feed inventory with your corn silage in the fall yeah you have to chop a few extra acres to, to make sure you have enough winter feed. but in the past everybody wants you know big volume big volume but the way these cows are today and genetically they're they're like professional athletes like they're yeah, they're all like Cindy Crosby now, right? So we yep. just and we need to feed them accordingly because they just have the little milk, and we got to get the get the nutrients in them to uh, to help them do that. So yeah, and I mean, first cut maybe we're not as worried about that, but you get to some of the third, and some guys are doing fourth and even fifth cuts on some of the high grass uh, or or all grass fields. What like what would you say is almost too high? So I've I've had some personal experience with that too, where you get these guys that get all excited. We get the sample back; it's twenty five, twenty six percent protein. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Running real rich, uh, like rocket fuel haylage. Uh, it's a little it's a little tougher to manage on our end, but I mean, I think it really depends on the straw price at that time of year too. Yeah, because sure, you know, we could add some straw to kind of dilute that. But when we're putting it through our model, like you really see the savings on that they've got a yeah. good inventory of it like the high forage diets like you know we've got herds right now that are pushing you know 68 72 percent forage yeah and uh you know it's all because they've got high forage so 
I'm not overly concerned about it. If you're going to feed that as like your main forage source, uh, you might run into a little bit of trouble with the uh, MUNs and things like that. Yeah. Uh, just because yeah. it will be so soluble. Yeah, um, exactly. But you know, if you're maybe more of a corn silage based diet and that high protein haylage, it'll feed, it'll feed really well. So yeah, I find first cut too is got your smallest window. Like you have way more of a window with uh, second, third and fourth cut than you do right. with uh, first cut, like I think first cut because there is so much grass in it. You generally uh, that window is quite a bit, quite a bit shorter. So that yeah. go, just goes back to the point. I'd rather cut for quality, uh, especially in first cut. There's still that fine line, I guess, between going too rich of feed, right? Because guys think, okay, I'm going to cut really early, have rocket fuel. Well, that may or may not be always the best solution as well. So you kind of agree with that, Keith, or do you have an opinion on that? Or no, I, I think like you could go to the extreme, but I think in general. Uh, to do that, especially on first cut, you're going to have to cut so super early. A lot of guys yeah, on first cut. Yeah, they aren't willing to park the park the corn planter to go cut. No, rates. no, that's um, right. Yeah, you're right there with the first cut. And I, I guess I'm talking more in general, like for haylages in general, but I know we are yeah. talking a little bit more about first cut today. I know, I know, like I've had run into situations where, you know, they've got that fourth cut haylage that's only uh, four weeks. You yeah. know, it's only four weeks since third cut. And that stuff is like, the one thing is like it's really high on paper but it also turns to mush when you try to process it because there is no structure that's, there's no there's no fiber to it right so that's right um it just it, it just creates a whole different uh different set of uh i wouldn't say issues but a different set of uh oper management opportunities for it so <laughs> yeah no that's that's a great point and i i agree and it, it does look like this year we're in for a good first cut anyway so with that, like, do you want to talk a little bit about cutting height? Like, what are some advantages, disadvantages to going low, going a little higher? Uh, what should guys be thinking about when they're doing that? Yeah, so we, like, I typically talk to them about, uh, like, two to four inches. And I think it really depends on which cut and how high. So for uh, first cut, for instance, I like to cut a little bit higher. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't want to see that grass scalp because uh, mm -hmm. it grows back a little different than alfalfa. And then the alfalfa, too, you want to keep... Uh, a lot of times if you go look in that field and you kind of spread it open, the bottom three to four or five inches will yellow off a little bit. Right. Uh, so it's kind of like corn silage too, where there's a lot of structure in the bottom of that plant and we don't necessarily need it for feed. And then the, then the alfalfa will start uh, growing back over that crown right away uh, yeah. too. But the other thing advantage too is typically this time of year, our, our soil moisture is uh, a bit higher. So the soil can really help you dry or help you, not dry a crop if that makes any sense so if the soil's really dry it'll help draw moisture out of that crop right and help with the dry down but if it's really uh, wet or damp soil uh, it'll kind of impede the dry down process of that so it's good to keep that cut length or the sorry the cut height up a little bit just so you can get those breezes underneath the windrows uh, to help the, with the dry down process so have you seen some issues with cutting a little lower and having higher ash content or anything like that or I don't know if it's specific to cut height. Like I can't, I can't speak to that, but I do know with uh, like sometimes with the different uh, rake settings, yeah, things like that too, bunch of, that's right. where I see a lot more. Like if you got your rake set really aggressively and you see yeah. a guy going across yeah. the field and there's a dust cloud, well, he's probably going to have higher ash than that. And then you get into fermentation pro or, uh, problems when you do get higher ash because right. that ash is just things that are taking the place of protein, fiber, energy, yeah. carbohydrate, mineral, you're just putting poor quality stuff up in that has, uh, it doesn't uh, get off to the great fermentation start either. So, and Absolutely. sometimes you'll see a lot more like clostridia or buterachy. 
And, and talking moisture there, I guess, for, uh, I guess, talking averages there, what kind of moisture do you like guys to have, or I should say maybe dry matter, what do you look for uh, for ideal ranges there? It really depends on your uh, storage system. Like uh, yeah. like for a harvester, you're not going to put 35% right. dry matter halogen. You know, you're going to maybe want to be that 45 to 50, where yep. a bunker silo, you can get away with, uh, you know, 35 to 45% kind of in a bunker, I think is ideal. Tower, I'd probably lean a little bit closer to that 40 to 50. 100% with the harvest stores there, you got to be careful. And uh, if you want them a little drier, for sure. Uh, most most blue silo guys know if they put it up too wet. That's right. They, they only have to do it once it. and they've learned it. They're learning their lesson pretty quick. I guess the other thing is, so uh, say a farmer's walk in his field, what would you recommend uh, guys be looking for when they're just about ready to cut? Like on first cut, a lot of people will talk about early to mid bud. I find the year like this where we have a little bit cooler spring, I, I would kind of lean into cutting early, like early bud or, or pre-bud. Uh, just yeah. because there is a lot more, I feel like there'll be a lot more fiber in that plant. So you do have to get a little okay. bit lusher because I think what happens is that for when, when that alfalfa goes from uh, vegetative into reproductive, it's just pushed back a little bit. So if you're waiting for that, it's already been pushed back a little bit, but the fiber's already there. Like the fiber physiology doesn't really change. It's already set. Right. So I, I'd rather cut to the calendar rather than cut to uh, the sexual maturity of the plant in first cut anyway so i was actually talking to some producers about that this morning on the alfalfa and now on the grass side i don't want to see any head like if you start right. seeing any head in there you're probably pushing your limits like you want to get the right. crop on the ground right away um, but i have seen a i have seen a trend too i think some people you know people don't grow uh timothy for instance anymore um that much in hay i think we're seeing a lot more of the orchards and brome and abilene passes so I think the, they're a little bit uh, later maturing. So I think it's kind of more lined up with uh, alfalfa maturity, but still at the end of the day, like if we start to see that flag leaf pop on that, uh, on that grass, I'd be seriously considering getting the disc in the field. So. Yeah, no, and it, it is surprising year after year, how many guys, I don't know. It, it just seems to still be an ongoing discussion that we have to have, which is surprising. Uh, being at it for this long and those guys I mean have been out a lot all their whole life basically and um, I, I still can't figure out sometimes why guys don't get that if we put good quality into the silo or storage whatever it is whether it's baleage or haylage or whatever it might be it's just going to have a huge impact it's just going to have a massive impact on how much you could save on purchase feed cost and they still don't get that they still vouch for quantity and and might leave it an extra week or two and all of a sudden we lose a few points in protein and like you said we got to make that up then with soy or canola or, or some other form it's hard sometimes because i wish i think guys realize it and i think guys also to look at it from their point of view i understand sometimes they get nervous they may not have enough feed and so the temptation is there to to let it go a little bit longer get a little bit more quantity i guess you know the numbers need to be there and that's something we can even work through with farmers is to try and figure out the numbers of how much are you actually saving or actually maybe spending a bit more? I don't know what your thoughts are on that as well. Well, I, I think as, as uh, feed reps and nutritionists and that, we can bring some outside of the box thinking and maybe to the farm. You yeah. know, does, you know, does the traditional, like if they're constantly short on inventory, does the, does the traditional corn haylage uh, concept work or should we be thinking about adding another forage in there? You know, right. there's opportunities out there to grow crops like, triticale or you could grow crops like sorghum sugar grass that you can feed yep. the cows that are really good forages it's just that it's not traditional to this market 
so yeah. I want to talk a lot more about that in the yeah. future because I've got a I've got a prospect that I've been talking to about that a bit, and he's growing triticale this year, and that crop yeah. looks amazing. And yeah, everywhere I've been, you know, California, Georgia, Florida, yeah. Wisconsin, yeah, all over the U.S. They're doing these crops. Like we don't have to just because we've always grown corn silage and haylage. Mind you, they're great crops and they're really great forages. But there's some other forages we can throw in there that might help us increase the amount of forage that we can feed your cows just yep. on the on the digestibility side. Like this triticale crop, it looks amazing. You know, um, in the southern U.S., we were just down in Georgia and Florida. They grow winter wheat down there and then they chop yep. winter wheat and put it in. And it looks like beautiful feed. You know, California, they do a lot of triticale. We have the opportunity to get three crops in two years here in Ontario, I feel. Yeah. Like we could grow corn silage one year, you follow it up with triticale, then you put some sorghum, BMR sorghum stand or something like that. And after that, and uh, just, you can get a lot more tonnage than I think, uh, than I think producers feel like they can get. Like, I think the, the potential's there. It's just, they need the, they need the information and the, yeah. and the know-how to, to get that done. So what has your experience been with some of those other ones? And I, again, like you said, we're, we're starting to learn a bit more about them in Ontario, having a bit more uh, experimenting with them. What are your thoughts or what are you seeing with your producers? So the last few years, I've had a lot of producers growing oats after wheat, which works okay. really good. Um, it's a great forage crop. You know, it's really cheap to establish. You can put manure down. Mm -hmm. uh, in the fall, you're probably like, I read some research, you'll get two to two, 2.2 metric tons of acre of oats, uh, dry mm -hmm. matter. I don't know if you can, I, I don't know if you could get that in the fall. I think just, we don't have the, I think this growing conditions in the spring are better than in the fall. So you get a little bit more yield out of it in the spring, but it makes great feed. The one thing you got to watch is it does get rust. So you got to put fungicide on it. If you cut that grass, that oats earlier, you know, it makes great cow feed and, yeah. and uh, you know, you're doing that crop kind of, if it's after wheat, so you're doing it in late September, early October. So there's a good window mm -hmm. uh, to get it done. That's one opportunity too, is I've got a, one of my customers right now, what they're going to do is they're going to go trade some manure uh, on some wheat ground and they're going to plant oats and then chop the oats and put them in the bunk. And, okay. Uh, yeah. And start yeah. using that as a winter forage because, uh, you know, we talked a lot about it, you know, through the winter here. And uh, I think it's a great idea. And the more that I go and learn about it, the better idea I think it is. Uh, like, I think there's some things that we could take from what sure. producers do that aren't in our region, you know, Southern US, Western US, yeah. Texas, that area, that, you know, they're doing a lot of these things and they're making tremendous amounts of milk off of it. So, you know, it's yeah. just another, it's another tool in the toolbox. Uh, the other thing too, I don't see a lot of Sudana grass around. Uh, feed, or sorry, the seed cost is a little bit expensive. Uh, I would like to see a plant at this time of year, you know, you need a little, need a little bit of warmer soil conditions. Uh, I know some people are planting it after wheat, which is fine, but I just don't think you get the yield potential. I think you need that full summer to get two cuts off of it, and that's where you really see the yield. Um, yeah. I just find that if you plant it in the late summer, like July or late July, mid into mid August, you just uh, it takes about fifty five days. Um, mm -hmm. So generally, we don't get enough heat for it, and that crop okay. loves loves loves, loves heat. Uh, the other thing too, like the normal stuff, you know, talk about the triple mix, like uh, barley, oats and peas, that kind mm -hmm. of stuff that, you know, that yep. stuff all works good. And yep. if you want to make cow feed out of it, you just, it's cut time. Like you just got to cut it yeah. earlier. Like once those early. things, yeah. once those crops start to get away a little bit, they, uh, the quality just goes backwards. And then the other one too, is I have a lot of people put uh, annual rye. So they'll plant rye mm -hmm. after uh, corn silage and then they'll do it in the spring. So you can feed that to cows too. Uh, like I said, it, it creates tremendous volume, but 
it's got to be done early. And if you let it go a little bit later, it makes great heifer feed. Uh, I find heifers are maybe a little bit wetter on it. I don't know why that is, but they just, I find they urinate a little bit more. Yeah, okay. but uh, okay. it makes great feed too. It's just, yeah. if you let it go to head, it's really tough to put into a, to a silo or a bunker because it's just like a sponge. It just doesn't want to back, so. Yeah, and, and I guess, so that's a great thing for producers trying to experiment with some different things. Make sure you do the research or have someone around that can get you the information uh, to get it in at the right time. I think that's the bottom line with, with all forages, right? We know that. Yep. I think it's been the same message here right from the get-go here this morning is uh, it, it's got to be quality over quantity. Um, but I, I, I like that idea. I think there is a lot more coming about trying some different feeds. And I, I think guys are having good luck with some of them. And I like that idea as far as an environmental impact, as far as uh, making use of what we have, because land prices are not getting lower as we know. Uh, so most of what we have available is, again, another way to make huge cost savings on your farm. So I think there's a lot of opportunity, a lot of options out there. So definitely, again, where, where we can come in helpful, uh, we're glad to do that as nutritionists, as salespeople. It, it's just a conversation starter. I think that's all we're hoping to have this morning is get you guys thinking a little bit more. And uh, so there's, there's lots of different options here where we can play with different things and experiment with them. I guess see what works for your farm, see what's worked on the neighbors and, and play with it a bit. And uh, maybe don't on the first year commit to it fully, but, uh, but maybe do some test plots with it, see what happens, see how it works, see how it tests, and we can make some, uh, make some recommendations based on what we see in the field, I guess. So any other thoughts on that, Keith? No, I, I just think there's huge opportunities to, to yeah. try some, I guess, outside of the box thinking yeah. with forage crops. Like the cow doesn't have an alfalfa requirement or a corn silage requirement. They need fiber and they need protein and they need energy. Yeah. Uh, so how they get that, you know, we can have, uh, a lot of different combinations to get that yeah. done. Um, we don't have a lot of experience with that here, but you know, I like, yeah. I really love learning as we go and, and working with these producers to meet their goals. And if we've got to do something that uh, might get their neighbors talking a little bit, that's, yeah. that's fine by us. Like, yeah, I, I can't say that every time we've tried, I've tried something on the farm, it's worked splendidly sometimes. You know, no, for sure. You, I'm not going to make a re recommendation that's going to be a disaster, but it yeah. might not work as well as I'm thinking. As, no, as well as we no. think it will, right? But, uh, um, and that's why so, I said, like, experiment a little bit with it. Like, you don't have to make that your main crop source for that year, but just kind of play with it a little bit and uh, try it, sample it, see what it looks like. That's where we can come in and help a little bit too and come back with some feedback on how it tested. And, and sometimes, like I said, that had some producers do it worked really well, and others have played with different feeds, and it, it was. It was a disaster. So they said they'll never do it again, but that doesn't mean it's not going to work for the neighbor or the guy down the road. You, you got to try, right? And if some of these do succeed and work well, uh, I think there's huge potential there for some, again, more, more cost savings and better use of land and, uh, and volume of feed as well. So. Yeah, and on our end, it's gaining experience as well too. Like, you know, I like to think about what ifs, like what if we had a horrible winter and most of our alfalfa got killed off? Like what right. are we going to yeah. do? Like, You've yeah. got to be able Great to point. adapt, and if we don't have that knowledge base to pull from, it might be, uh, might yeah. be a little bit tough. But Yeah, that's um, a great point. Great yeah. point. So. No, well, that's good, Keith. I don't know if there's any other thoughts or, or tips or anything you wanted to leave uh, with any of the listeners today. Uh, anything else you want to touch on there as we're just kind of right getting into the peak of first cut here? Uh, just stay safe out there. You know, everybody's working around uh, – all this larger dangerous equipment and yep. um, we just don't want any uh, want everybody to stay safe and stay healthy out there so absolutely yeah no that's great well I appreciate it Keith 
I, I just want to say a huge thanks again to everyone listening. And uh, hopefully this information we're trying to bring to you guys is valuable. Uh, that's our bottom line. We're really just trying to use this to, to bring value to your farms and help give you guys some, some advice. And like Keith was talking about some different options, maybe to, to even think about when you're planting and different things like that. So uh, if you have questions, again, feel free to reach out to your um, nearest Suregain dealer, your nearest Suregain rep. Obviously Keith and myself are available. We we're out on farm. Um, so with that, Keith, I will say thank you very much. Thanks, Luke. Hey, guys, I really do want to say a huge thanks for tuning in this week. It really does mean a lot to have the support from you guys out there listening. I did want to give you guys a few updates about the podcast. One of the biggest ones is that most of the information we are going to be posting about the podcast is going to be coming via Twitter. I am currently using my personal Twitter handle, which is at Luke, L-U-K-E, underscore, Mahalik, M-I-C-H-A-L-E-K. This is where you're going to find new episodes and new episode alerts to let you guys know when new content is coming out. I really look forward to sharing with you guys again soon. I hope you guys are staying safe during the COVID-19 outbreak. Thanks again and have a great week, everyone.